old Lanscom moved totteringly from room to room, pulling up the blinds. Now and then he peered with screwed-up, roomy eyes through the windows. Soon they would be coming back from the funeral. He shuffled along a little faster. There were so many windows. Enderby Hall was a vast Victorian house built in the Gothic style. In every room, the curtains were of rich, faded brocade or velvet. Some of the walls were still hung with faded silk. In the green drawing room, the old butler glanced up at the portrait above the mantelpiece of old Cornelius Ebernethy, for whom Enderby Hall had been built. Cornelius Ebernethy's brown beard stuck forward aggressively. His hand rested on a terrestrial globe, whether by desire of the sitter or as a symbolic conceit on the part of the artist no one could tell. A very forceful-looking gentleman, so old Lanscombe had always thought, and was glad that he himself had never known him personally. Mr. Richard had been his gentleman. A good master, Mr. Richard, and taken very sudden, he'd been, though of course the doctor had been attending him for some little time. Ah, but the master had never recovered from the shock of young Mr. Mortimer's death. The old man shook his head as he hurried through a connecting door into the white boudoir. Terrible, that had been. A real catastrophe. Such a fine, upstanding young gentleman, so strong and healthy. You'd never have thought such a thing likely to happen to him. Pitiful, it had been. Quite pitiful. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate. And I'm your other host, Ben Blattberg. And tonight we're talking about Funerals Are Fatal, also known as After the Funeral, by Agatha Christie, published in 1953. And joining us tonight is David Hanna. Hi, David. Hello. Welcome. So... Uh, have either of y'all read Agatha Christie before? I have read one or two books, I believe. I have never read an Agatha Christie novel or story, for that matter. Mm. I have, however, seen plenty of adaptations, including uh, at least one play version of the play that shall not be named because it is an incredibly offensive title for anything. And then, um, obviously, the the newest murder on the Orient Express with Kenneth Branagh Mm -hmm. as our beloved mustachioed detective. And this is a Poirot novel, although uh, we do not see Poirot on this page, or I expect for quite some time knowing the structure of these things. (laughs) Uh, Judging by this first page, I, yeah, I don't know when Poirot is going to show up. He might show up two thirds of the way through the book. Not unheard of. (laughs) Um, I can't. I actually cannot remember if I've read this book or not. Um, Have you read many? I've read a few. Um, she has more than one about funerals, I believe, and they do like a, a certain categories of them start to bleed together a little bit. <laughs> if you're not being very thorough, Look, you you would think that Agatha Christie of all people could come up with more different locations to have murder mystery solved right like why why do we have if we have several happening at funerals i feel like we've we've you might be writing a little too much agatha you Mm. might might be taking this a little too far yeah i think her usual approach is to repeat the scene but completely mix up the confusing family dynamic (laughs) (sighs) that's mystery Mm. what do you do you 
Do you think some of the confusion there, Vin, might be because this book has two titles? <laughs> Possibly. Not, neither of which is like very interesting. Yeah, I, I used the American title because that's the title on the specific copy that I uh, grabbed this page from. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can you can definitely tell like there's that really stereotypical version of the difference between a British title and an American title. Oh my god. Like <laughs> after the funeral versus funerals are fatal. <laughs> yeah, like it has a kind of Mike Hammer uh sort of mm-hmm. ring of just like this is going to be dangerous. As opposed to after the funeral, which is like, oh, uh cookies or yeah. biscuits, I guess. This right. is going to be awkward. I would kill to see somebody write a Miss Marple mystery, but in a Mike Hammer style. That ooh, that would be amazing. I I, I would avoid using the phrase I would kill or <laughs> anything. This is this is going to be published at some point. No, mi- <laughs> well, Miss Marple is going to solve the murder that I I committed. That's how this is going to work. <laughs> oh yeah, like uh, how about like a, a really like meta uh, uh, m- Mrs. Marple. Uh, who is the author of her own novels goes to Hollywood to write the novelization or the, 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 the screen adaptation for a, uh, one of her books and then becomes. I mean, that literally in is the first episode of murder. She wrote. Yep. Oh. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Funerals are fatal has, uh, like it is funny. Uh, I, I guess I only learned uh, recently that After the Funeral was the original title, which uh, does have much more of a stately air. Uh, and especially reading these first few paragraphs when it's like, this is directly after a funeral. People are going to come back. And it's like, okay. Like, I, I always do love that moment uh, in a, mostly in a movie when the title uh, pops up mm-hmm. uh, in some ways. Especially when you get to realize that it's very literal. I just keep wondering about this title. Funerals are fatal. And like, first of all, it's a bad pun. Mm-hmm. It's not good. Yeah. But then it starts to like worm into different questions of, <laughs> well, wait a minute. Now, are funerals fatal for the person who we are commemorating at the funeral? Is someone killed at the funeral? Yeah. On the one hand, we have sort of an inert tautology and then on the other hand, uh, something much more threatening. <laughs> and I guess that's Poirot. That's, is that how we describe Hercule? Mm-hmm. Well, what are the best, uh, I mean, let's just limit this to a uh, Hercule book. Uh, like, what are the best titles? And I feel like I should know this because for the longest time in my day job as a developer, I was using uh, Hercule Poirot novel titles as like fake data mm. uh, when I was testing something. And yet I always have to look it up because I feel like they're not um, very interesting. Well, I think this is uh, clearly the original British title being after the funeral. It's always, it, everything's always descriptive. Murder on the Orient Express, death mm-hmm. on the Nile. Like it's very literal. <laughs> well, I don't hate that. You know, that's Agatha Christie. Like, we're telling, we're giving you a setting, and then we're going to build a huge mystery around that setting. So it's very unassuming. Um, <laughs> clearly, when they republished this, this specific copy was like, mm, sounds too boring, but funerals are fatal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, only occasionally does she get like 
uh, a little uh, deceptive, like with Dumb Witness, which is the one where the witness is a dog. That's very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, see, looking at her list now, she does have a book called uh, The Labors of Hercule, which is mm-hmm. nice. You know, cute. <laughs> uh, she'll, she'll get a little punny on us, you know. Yeah. But I, this this reeks of backroom cigar smoking and uh, vodka gimlet drinking. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, but after the funeral is a boring title. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, let me ask you, how about this? So, uh, her 1940 book, One, Two, Buckle My Shoe, was also published as An Overdose of Death. <laughs> wow. <laughs> is, is that a little... Is, is that more or worse? Uh, more, more or better than this? <laughs> I think it's more and worse, yes. <laughs> Again, such a weird phrasing. Is can you overdose on death? Did death cause the overdose? But wow, these are these are asking way more questions than they should be yeah. by any rights. Interestingly, uh, 1948's Taken at the Flood uh, was also published as There is a Tide, which is uh, not the same kind of change. No, which makes me wonder if that was an alternate mm-hmm. British title or something. <laughs> oh. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, uh, we do our research live uh, on air. But uh, 1955, Hickory Dickory Dock, also published as Hickory Dickory Death. <laughs> yeah, you can really get a very specific picture of the taste of the like three guys whose job this was on the editorial staff. Uh, so good. Uh, such. Such C-rate madman bullshit, clearly. <laughs> Hercule Poirot's Christmas, also published as Murder for Christmas and A Holiday for Murder, which I think is the opposite of what they mean, because murder is not on holiday. It's there. Right. Uh, Mur- murder never gets a day off, which mm. is not a bad title, I'm going to say. Uh, now, for something. Title, titles aside, this cover, my goodness. This is a great cover. It is a lot. There's a lot going on. Is this from your personal collection, Vin? Yes. Um, and like, I'm sure there's a term for the style that this is that I don't have the artistic vocabulary to come up with right now, but it's like very interestingly stylized and also features a nun dead center with an axe. And that I think I think it begs the question, is she holding the axe? Yeah. Or is the axe just propped in front of her? Because you don't see a hand on the axe. Yeah, her look is just concern. And you can't tell if it's concern because I have just used an axe or I have found an axe that has been used. Or this axe has some intentions that I'm not comfortable with. The axe has muscle and and blood on it. Like we mm-hmm. can we can definitely tell this thing has been used in some kind of a horrible attack. Yeah. But also, it's like a really beautiful sunset in the background. Mm-hmm. And this, like, lovely sort of seaside villa. Yeah. That that does not uh, make me first think of uh, England. Although, I guess, well, is that where this takes place? Seaside can definitely be England. But mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely getting Tuscany Italian vibes for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. Maybe like French Riviera. <laughs> Which and just she does again. like to relocate. Just again, they really, they really, really, really want to sell this book, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're just desperate to sell this book. Yeah. Also, I think like 
just the contrast between having a sunset and like everything colored by that and then having your central figure be a nun specifically in black and white is a pretty sharp artistic uh decision making yeah it has that quality of like the the sunset is still lighting up uh, the higher parts of the land but we here are in a little bit of a shadow so like she does not have the same color uh, you know, she's got a, a, a little color to her, but otherwise, like, she's already uh, in the shade of uh, the oncoming night, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I wonder what the original British cover was. Just like, I don't know, like, insert here some stereotype about British tea or something. <laughs> Just a leather-bound copy with gilt letters. Mm. After the funeral. Mm. Yeah, I realized that just looking up the cover is going to get me 10,000 covers, so I won't know well, she is, which one comes to the beginning. She is like one of the best-selling mm-hmm. authors of all time. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so also no wonder that uh, there are so many uh, adaptations. Mm-hmm. But how about this? Was this ever adapted? Are we sitting on a, a gold mine here? I believe all the Poirot stories were adapted. Um, I believe that David... Uh, and I never know if his his last name is Suchet or Suchet, uh, but I believe he has been Poirot in every single Poirot story and a couple of non-Poirot stories as they occasionally do uh, in that series. Hmm. Um, they do it more with the uh, the Miss Marple line because there are fewer of those. So they'll just like hand her someone else's story. We've had so many different Poirots too. Mm. Sorry, I want to go back to the murder of Christmas just for a moment. Okay. Has, has there ever been, I don't know if y'all would know, has there ever been like a Hallmark uh, Christmas movie where the heroine was like a detective? No, but I've heard some Buckwild stuff about some of those Hallmark movies. Like, mm-hmm. there's some, you know, people possibly dying and like alternate timeline weirdness going on. They, they stray into some very odd territory now and then. Especially because they all have that same, like, just sort of off tone, no matter what they're doing. Well, and Netflix, I think, also is the one pushing a lot of that. Like, y'all are going, y'all are going for it. Like, really going for it with these these Christmas movies. Yeah. And they're not terrible. They're not good. They're not terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Netflix is definitely sort of approaching the genre without the same set of uh, shackles that Hallmark has. They are family entertainment, no doubt, but mm-hmm. they uh, they are willing to take a few more risks. Let's let's start getting into the text. So, where did I put the text? Okay, so our first line: Old Lanscombe moved totteringly from room to room, pulling up the blinds. It's a slow opening. He's an old dude. Mm-hmm. She's made that impressively clear throughout the entire first page of this book. <laughs> yeah. And like, does sort of give the impression of like, even in this first line of him being a sort of fixture of the space, like, as he just sort of moves through it, performing the same repetitive task. He sounds like a butler, but not the, not the very stentorian English butler that we know. He sounds like that, but then completely stooped over Mm -hmm. and pathetic. Yeah, he's the butler who's been here for so long that he has, like, no other aspects of his identity left. 
he's sort of like a piece of furniture that does the chores. It it is funny that like uh, I, I think that first line like tells us what he is doing, uh, and it's also funny, uh, uh, David. I, I don't know if you meant to point this out, but like uh, uh, I think every mention of him uh, uh, reminds us that he is old in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like like he's old <laughs> Lanscombe. His eyes are roomy. He shuffles shuffle yes. down like there's all these everything but but that first sentence when i when i first read it like there's no uh like we don't know we know what he's doing sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> like for a moment i just kind of pictured him like pulling up the blinds and then they'd fall down and pull them up again like but like there's also no purpose here like if he was like cleaning up you know in order to host you know the after funeral you know tea service or something mm-hmm. uh this doesn't feel like, and this does not feel Angela Lansbury. God damn it! Um, this does not feel like Agatha Christie is really, uh, is really bringing us any sort of introduction here. Like this is definitely a, you know, you, uh, you know Hercule at this point. You know what you're in for with this book. I'm not going to bother with actually trying to, you know, get you in right off the gate. We're not going anywhere exotic with this. We're we're staying we're staying in for a nice rainy English afternoon with murder. <laughs> yeah, she's really coming in with a slow pitch on this one. Like, Ooh, is she ever? <laughs> yeah, it's not until like almost the end of the page where we start to get a little hint of someone being dead and of that being <laughs> even a little bit complicated. Yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> we're not sure. Yeah, but uh, as is, I think, her her want, she gives us a number of names on this first page, several of whom are long dead, or at least a couple. Um, well, and like, like uh, about that, if I could just ask, like, mm-hmm. uh, how long ago was Cornelius Eberdethy around? Like, there's something like, you know, like the, the description of him is like uh, having a portrait with a terrestrial globe. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, not one of those non-terrestrial globes, but uh, mm. like there's something about that, that that you know says like, I don't know, Renaissance, right? Or like Age of Conquest. Yeah, it's a generation removed, though. It's got to be because we get Mister Richard had been his master, a good master, Mister Richard, and taken very sudden. The master had never recurred to the shock of young Mister Mortimer's death. Hmm. Yeah. I- and I think if we were a little more directly connected to the culture of this, the fact that the hall was built for him would probably give us a more precise time period just from like cultural osmosis. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's one of those houses yeah. they built like people had those built for them right, right. in this sort of era. As as Eddie Izzard says, you know, in America, we if it's over 50 years old. We smash it down and put a car park on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I guess it yes, is. It is what a, we do in America. A vast Victorian house. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. She's she is dropping hints, but this is. I gotta say, this is not the uh, the sort of exotic invitation that something like a murder on the Orient Express would be. Mm-hmm. Like we're not we're not immediately going. Okay, we're in an interesting locale. Things are interesting and different and happening. We're just like it's. There's an old man waddling around as fast as he possibly can move. And he's trying to get the house ready after for after a funeral. Mm-hmm. Although he's not like as as someone mentioned a minute ago, he's not like 
doing any of the like high priority intense tasks. Like it seems like all of the work work is done and he's just sort of tending to the windows in a way that feels uh, like that sort of automatic busy work that you get from like, you know, an Agatha Christie era Butler where like, it's just one of the various steps and it's sort of like, he just has to keep in motion because that's what a Butler does. And also that if he does not, he may uh, collapse Mm -hmm. into a pile of bones because of how old he sounds. He is fairly old. (laughs) A lot of death in this house. Yes. Like that's, that's another sort of, you know, classic trick that she does is present you with a death and then also hint at another related death that is probably more noteworthy and probably will have repercussions on what's going on here. Cause like, you know, the death of Mr. Richard, there's nothing that implies that Mr. Richard was particularly young. Whereas Mr. Mortimer specifically is described as young. And I'm going to assume that he was Mr. Richard's son or ward or something like that. And like, that is a tragic murder that's sort of in the shadow of this more current event. Boy, howdy, if Lance comes to the murder, what a twist. Mm. Yeah, at some point, somewhere, the butler does have to be the one who did it. Just once. But very slowly. Mm. So slowly. So, so, so slowly. Just imagine a, a combo of Mr. Magoo and Droopy Dog wandering around <laughs> an English estate. Also, like, I want a room in my home called the White Boudoir. That sounds <laughs> both opulent and terrifying. Well, and it implies the existence of other boudoirs with different colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor, poor Mr. Mortimer. Uh, you had a terrible shock in the red boudoir. You're like, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's where terrible shocks happen. We moved him to the blue boudoir to try and calm his nerves, but it was too late. <laughs> Yeah, there's something about, you know, the, I don't know if that we want to, well, I don't know if this is galloping through the text, but at the end of the first page, mm-hmm. when old Lanscombe is just sort of thinking uh, to us uh, about all the misfortunes in the household, you know, like, I don't know, that, that like, pitiful it had been, quite pitiful. It just seems very, like, like, is this, like, Brit- again, like, is this British understatement, or is this, like, vaguely sinister? Yeah, it's it's that doddering old man thing. Oh, just pitiful, just so, so pitiful. Yeah. Also, you know, someone like Lanscombe knows a lot of the secrets and is so professional and proper that like when he says pitiful, he could mean anything from a vaguely sad thing I know nothing about to a horrific situation about which I shall never say anything. Uh, old Lanscombe paid dearly to n- never dig up secrets. Mm-hmm. Old Lanscombe is secretly Harvey Keitel from Pulp Fiction. Just <laughs> well, for, for a minute, I thought you were going to say something like uh, many, many, many Butler spies died to bring us this information and never tell us. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. wrong, wrong, wrong author. <laughs> wrong author. We're, we're, this is not a luck hooray episode. Okay, wait. Now, now what about a Hallmark? Uh, tink, tinker, tailor, soldier, uh, Santa, uh, ex-boyfriend who left me at the altar, but, mm-hmm. but might have a, a good reason for it. Yeah. 
I would put money on them having having done at least one kind of fake spy thriller one. Well, we will have to do a spinoff podcast where we watch and discuss just the first minute of. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. We need to stop inventing spinoff podcasts. <laughs> I know because the best the best thing with that is that you just invent spinoff podcasts every time you do an episode, and then you never make them. And I, then just people know that the spins off. I do think we might almost be one for one at this point. There we go. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's worth it. Yeah. It's a good bit. It's a solid bit. Oh boy, I uh, I gotta say, I don't, I don't know. I feel like you would have to be in a very specific mood to want to keep going with this book after this first page. Yeah, this is. I think this is where you have to have decided you're on board first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I, I really, uh, really dig, uh, I think David, you, you said the, the slow pitch here, like, cause like, very slow. yeah, like mm. there, there was a moment. So when I taught composition, uh, in grad school, I think one of the examples that, uh, or like when, when I was like a, a, a TA, let's say, uh, one of the examples that uh, a teacher used, I think was a uh, Mark Twain where like, it, it wasn't exactly this, but like the end of a sentence would like introduce something that would then be the subject of the next sentence. So it was all just like very like handoff, you know, and like it just read very smoothly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought of that when like old Lanscombe in the second, uh, second paragraph, like he, he shuffled along a little faster. There were so many windows. Uh, and then we get a description of Enderby Hall. And, and there was a moment there where I was like, oh, like that was a nice little, like a nice little handoff. Like we go from like, watching an old man do an action to the description of the object, you know, which he is acting on, you know, being Enderby Hall. Uh, and then in that paragraph, I just started to like really lose attention. Uh, <laughs> like m- m- maybe it's the, like, you know, the, the portrait, which has a terrestrial globe, uh, which whether by desire of the sitter or as a symbolic conceit on the part of the artist, no one could tell. It's like, well, then I don't know why, why, why are you telling me this? Is, is, is this the mystery you're going to solve? <laughs> you know, like, is there, why is there a terrestrial globe and yeah. why is his hand resting on it? Like, I, I think there's, there's a case to be made for taking your time when attempting to describe like, both a place and a situation that is sort of bogged down in ponderous history, which is the case with a lot of these old British aristocratic family homes, especially the way that Agatha Christie deals with them, where like, like you have to deal with everyone's issues all twisted together with like their parents and grandparents and whatever. Um, but there's like, you do get to the point where sometimes you're like, okay, but we also need a hook here. <laughs> well, unless, unless, and maybe, maybe this is something um, that this should not be a Poirot novel, but instead a Miss Marple novel. Hmm. That if this were nosy, nosy old woman in the British countryside being invited to an estate, mm-hmm. that the pace of this would make a lot more sense. Because this is clearly a cozy, rainy day mystery. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's very much a curl up under a nice blanket with a nice cup of tea and just enjoy a mystery. Not a slam bang, ooh, intrigue type mystery. At least not based off this first page. Yeah. And so perhaps... Perhaps our choice of protagonist was not the right one, Miss hmm. Christie. But then again, 
Um, considering the line that we have left off of this page because it is incomplete, mm-hmm. maybe we are about to make that turn in page two. Yeah, <laughs> we, we do. We do leave off on and Mr. Gordon killed in the somewhere. Um, and that, like, <laughs> yeah, it does sound like uh, Mr. Mortimer's had his share of family deaths before his own. If if Mr. Gordon actually murdered someone and we jump into that in the next sentence, mm. now I'm in. Yeah. Oh, now I'm like, oh, mm, killed oh, okay. in the other sense. Yeah, yeah. Because then I can deal with Lanscombe's, um complete internal monologue being written in narrative form. Mm. I think that is one thing that throws it off. It's like clearly this is Lanscombe's train of thought, but it's written from the third person, which is a little weird yeah the level of the level of zoom is not consistent <laughs> like because you know there's a third person narration where you can sort of hear what's going on in someone's head but usually you sort of stick there a little longer whereas here we start very zoomed out and sort of brush against Lanscombe's inner thoughts mm. but yeah if it, it, if we get into like grisly wild murders on the second page of this then uh I don't know. She she may have she may have executed that flawlessly, which, you know, Hmm. she made Lord knows how much money and um, had how much success writing these books. So she clearly knows a lot more uh, than we do. True. Yeah. Perhaps we should not be second guessing a slow start (laughs) from Agatha Christie. Hmm. Uh, Hey, we we can only judge what we what we have in front of us. It's true. Yeah, it is. I mean, it definitely has that quality like. Like so far, uh, I don't know what I want to say exactly. Let me let me try to say it, and then I'll I'll see if I agree with whatever comes out. But like, <laughs> there's a there's a quality of like, um, nondescript, uh, and like not very interesting, um, which I I don't think you would use to describe Agatha Christie in general. Like, you know, whatever else you might want to say, I you know, people are interested in what happens in them, right? Mm. like i've read a few i enjoyed them all uh i think (laughs) (laughs) i i I simply i simply can't remember them uh i think i remember i do remember one story that i really loved one like short story that she wrote Mm. where where this detective uh has tried to um or uh, this detective has uh run into this woman poisoner like twice but not been able to pin anything on her and so he runs into her again when she's married to a third husband. And she's and, and he's like, you know, I, I, I'm watching you. I'll, I'll just tell you guys the story because I, I, I can't even remember the title. So <laughs> it'll be a surprise when you read it. But but it, it's yeah. a really good like it's got a, it's got a fun twist insofar as like he thinks he is like a, uh, you know, the shining knight of justice, you know, uh, protecting mankind from this, you know, uh, merry widow. But what it turns out is she does poison one more person. She poisons the detective because mm. she has finally married the man that she wanted to marry that like all the other people stopped her from marrying uh, and who she had to murder to get out of the way. Um, and so she murders the police officer in order to preserve her marriage. And it's like, like, I don't know. I, I guess I want to say there's something that kind of like romantic, like it clearly stuck with me in a way that like murder at the vicarage did not. Mm. Uh, which I did read. That is the first Miss Marple book. And I'm looking at my Goodreads review right now just to remind myself, did I like this? Um, so there's definitely, I mean, she can write, right? It's yeah. just, maybe she's... <laughs> there's definitely like, 
in in my experience, there's some degree of inconsistency. Um, like there are some stories where like, oh yeah, this one's a banger. And then there are some, it's like, okay, I, there's 15 people in this household and it's been 30 pages and I don't know what the plot is yet. And I can't remember who's who. Um, like, like there's a, there's definitely a reason that so many of her stories do so well in adaptation where like you can put voices and faces to people and like, yeah control the pacing mm-hmm. you know even then the ones that aren't great there's a lot of like great seeds but it's a lot of trouble to get to them we just needed to get dashiell hammett to do a, a second pass like mm-hmm. just make this more exciting i need more explosions miss marple mm-hmm. i think like did you guys so sorry you you, you have seen uh murder on the orient express mm-hmm. the new one uh i have not but I have read the book, mm-hmm. uh, which like in my cultural osmosis, I guess I had always turned into like, there's a killer loose on this train and like, we have to catch them before like they strike again. But in the book, it's just like this one guy died. Uh, and that's all we know. <laughs> it's not like there's yeah. a ticking time bomb or anything. It's just like this one person died, you know, mm-hmm. the killer might be. And here. we're stuck in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Like somebody died, we're stuck in the snow, and everyone's a suspect. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a threat, but it's not the sort of serial killer kind of threat. It's like someone has killed, and there's a chance that they could kill again. Maybe depending on why they killed, which we don't know, so we have to sort that out. I mean, Poirot, I believe, is ready to write it off as just a tragic circumstance until a clue. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, she likes to unravel a yarn. Like I said. I, I I don't necessarily think this is bad, and especially hearing it read, mm. like when I read it on the page, it didn't sound th- that last sentence of the third paragraph. The brown beard stuck forward aggressively, comma his hand rested, comma comma comma. It just kept going, mm-hmm. and I'm reading it, going, I don't understand. But then when it read, I went, Oh, okay. This is the inside of a, a an elderly man's thought process, which is scattered and a little scattered shot. And I'm like, ah, oh, see what you're doing here. I'm, p- I'm picking up what you're putting down, Miss Christie. I, I, I do love that one uh, italicized on uh, uh, Mr. Richard had been his gentleman. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, that's you can really, really feel that like uh, that odd, uh, like not ownership. Well, yeah, ownership. Or like the the emotional investment that the servant has made in the master, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yeah, the the weird complexity of that relationship in this time period. Mm. Judging Cornelius Abernathy's entire affect based on a giant portrait, mm. and presumably, you know, several decades of whispered judgments amongst the staff handed God, down so from British. Butler to Butler. Yeah. So British, Very, mm-hmm. like remain, remains of the day and remains of the corpse. Uh, yeah 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 but i i think i agree with david that like it if this had fallen into my lap with no cover and i did not know who wrote it i don't know that i would get enough from this first page to be like oh yes i'm interested you know unless like honestly unless like this chapter is just like a giant list of the people who died (laughs) <laughs> and like the tragic but like unspeakable ways and, and things that have happened like then i might be interested in like yeah oh if it yeah. if it gets if it gets darker from here I, I now i'm intrigued 
Now I'm very intrigued. Mm. Yeah. But also the fact that this is the, what, 33rd Poirot book published? Wow. Uh, like, if I pick up a Poirot novel, it is likely I will start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, this one, like, unless something jumps out at me, uh, otherwise, like, you know, like, if someone says, like, oh, well, this Poirot novel is interesting, because, like, it turns out there's a Cthulhu cult, I'd be like, okay, like, let's bump that up in the reading order <laughs> a little. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you saw the nun with the axe <laughs> on the cover of this. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's also funny because I know this is not the only story that involves nuns. And like <laughs> the only story that involves nuns. Is it the only story that involves nuns and axes? I'm trying to remember if there's an axe in Nemesis. There might be. <laughs> Gosh. According to my notes, I've read two Hercule Burrow novels. Hmm. Uh yeah. Yeah, there is something I do wonder if like if that cover is uh influencing me a little bit, but like I wonder how gothic this is. Hmm. And like the like this like the traditional like British Gothic of like there's a, a a terrible Italian secret than like a murdered nun sort of thing or murdering nun. Uh, I think it is. I I think terrible Italian secret is probably uh, along the lines you should be thinking. <laughs> yeah. One of my uh, uh, there's oh gosh now I won't be able to remember his name. There is a guy who um, he was a proponent of like uh, digital. Uh, humanities and so like not just like reading a book and thinking about it but like inputting all books from the library into a computer and like getting data about that Mm -hmm. and so like he he, oh gosh uh uh, i'm gonna say he he's got the same name as a beer i'm gonna be so embarrassed i don't remember this before (laughs) uh uh his book was called graphs maps and trees uh what was that beer called oh god i remember getting him one once Oh, man. Moretti. <laughs> Franco Moretti. Anyway, uh, in mm-hmm. his book, Graphs, Maps, and Trees, he does like a few graphs, maps, and trees. <laughs> uh, and one of his maps is like a map of Europe and a list uh, with, with like dots for the villains from each of these novels of these British, these British novels. And it's mm-hmm. like, like you like, would you believe that most of the villains come from like Italy and France? And you're like, like <laughs> yes, like, I, I'm aware of like the British. <laughs> Like, I, oh, I, I, know, I know how the British feel about Europe. Like, I understand, like the um, continentals. Yeah. Like, uh, and I, I want to say, like, he, he may have even been specifically like gothic novels that he was looking at, which is just like all over. Like, they're all just like terrible Italian secrets, mm. you know, is, is kind of the, the sub theme of that. But yeah, there is something uh, I do wonder how much like, <sighs> okay. What does Agatha Christie look like if she's an American author? Hmm. Like, it's almost a nonsensical question, but like, like, what, what is it? Oh, I guess it's Angela Lansbury. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to well, say yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cue the murder she wrote theme. Uh, Finn, not, not all of these references to Angela Lansbury are going to make it into the final cut, are they? Oh, they will. Okay. Of course they will. Look, she's a legend. Like, why be mad? Yeah. I mean, the actual answer might, I mean, is it someone like a Nora Roberts or a Danielle Steele? No, I think it's a murder she wrote. Hmm. I really do. Or like, like Stephen King with Castle Rock as like the, I mean, it's not, it's not uh, a murder mystery. Like, it's not cozy in the sense of like, uh, the social order is not disrupted, but like, Hmm. it is cozy in the sense of like, oh, these are like 
this is a small town where everyone knows each other sort of thing. Small town trauma. Yeah. Mm. Well, there We're is. back in Maine. Cozy, I mean, there's, there's the whole cozy cat mystery thing, mm-hmm. which is definitely also up there. Um, I, I mean, that that is probably exactly where we are headed is Rita Mae Brown and Lillian Jackson Braun of the cozy cat mysteries in America out in New England, which... Hey, uh, and and part of that is like that's what they wrote from. They took Agatha Christie's, especially that Miss Marple stuff, and then we're like, okay, well, let's make this an American thing. Yeah. Hmm. And you know, I've heard many people be like, "This is my happy place." Like when I just need something to like relax, I can listen to a relatively non-violent little mystery hmm. that involves a woman and her cat solving a crime. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I am kind of like paralyzed in my downtime now that most of the like cozy british murder mystery shows have been moved off to their own app that we don't have well also i don't know how i don't know how cozy they are anymore they've gotten really brutal now mm. i mean like even the poirot stuff and the and the miss marble stuff is off on like brit box now yeah mm. or rosemary and time i heartily suggest rosemary and time which is a, a botanical murder mystery series Oh, so good. So good. I love I love the concept of anything that's just cozy and death, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do have Agatha Christie to thank for that as a like as a popularized genre concept. So again, who are we to judge? Mm-hmm. We're some dumbasses on a podcast. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, and several several spin-off podcasts as well. <laughs> uh, so not- many. It's true. So many. Very great. Really, like we have thirty-three podcasts, so we can judge this thirty-third book. Uh, yeah, mm. yeah. On that note, we are pushing up against time. Uh, anybody have any final thoughts? I want to see that second page. I need mm. to go dig it up somewhere. <laughs> I just, I just want to know. If I saw that second page, then I'd be, I can make a decision. Do I want to read this whole thing or not? Mm. Is that Mister Gordon killed? It's, it's. It's definitely intriguing me. <laughs> yeah, that's the other spinoff we need to have is the podcast where we actually look at the second pages because this comes up a lot. <laughs> yeah. I would just I, I would be very curious, like, do you know, the uh, like not that I've ever done a focus group, but, you know, like the archetypal image of like you have a dial that you turn like, do you like this? Do you not like this? Like mm. it would be it would be kind of interesting to go through like a book and just see like when we lost uh, interest or when our interest picked up mm-hmm. uh, in this case. Um, yeah, slow pitch. Hmm. Well, maybe there's a good David Suchet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess it's probably wrong. It's probably the other one, Suchet. Such shit. Yeah, hmm. he's great. But I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> well, uh, David, where can the people find you? Well, y'all can find me at um Twitter mostly. That's where I hang out a lot. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Big Mac in Pod, M A C I N P O D. Uh, you can check out the base, the gay baseball romance audio drama that I am working on right now. Uh, it's called Hand in Glove, and you can find that at Glovecast on Twitter. And you can also find all of the amazing shows that I co host for Macintosh and Mod at Macintosh Mod. Talk about movies, ponies, and Riverdale. So uh, you like any of those things or you actively hate any of those things, you can hear us uh, yell both ways about them. 
Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Finn LeBate, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io, and you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space or on Twitter at ChimeraPod or on your podcast app of choice. And I've been your other host, Ben Blatberg. You can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com and we'll meet you back here next week. Weather permitting. Funerals are fatal. <laughs> I'm really like almost going to say Angela Lansbury. <laughs> You're not wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs>